Go with me to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14, I want to read a few verses, starting in verse 9. Joshua chapter 14, starting in verse 9. Moses was dead, and and we've been kind of following Joshua's journey and the children of Israel's journey. And up to this point, they've uh, already seen the Red Sea split. They've all shouted in Jericho. The walls, like, fell tumbling down. And they charged in, and they they took over Jericho. And they started to, to conquer all these different cities and all these different places because this was the land, this was the space, this was the county and the territory that God was giving to his people as a promised to them. And so this was their land. They were kind of occupying it and t- conquering it and taking it over. And it had kind of come to towards the end of it. And now it was time to divvy up the spoils of war, if you will. Now it was time for the different tribes and the families to get their allotted piece of land. And Joshua is having conversations with uh, one of his main guys by the name of Caleb. Caleb was 85 years old at this point in time in his life, and he was ready to go into the land and set up shop for his family based on a promise that was given to him by Moses and by God 40 years earlier. 40 years earlier. Now, now you've got to know this about the children of Israel. They've been pursuing this placement, this land, this uh, promised land. They've been pursuing this for over 40 years now. See, they were supposed to go in over 40 years ago, and Moses had sent out some spies, some guys to scout it out and to, you know, uh, just videotape the practice so that they knew what they were coming up against. They weren't cheating because God had told them to do it. It was all good. And they were going to go spy out the land and to see kind of what's what and where the weaknesses were and strategically get things set up. And so there were all these spies that went out, and everybody who came back, uh, most of them all came back with a negative Nelly report. Like, it ain't going to happen. The sky is falling. They're bigger than we are. They're better than we are. They've won more championships than we've won. And there's no way it's going to ever work for us. There's no way. But there were two guys who saw something differently. There were two guys who had these eyes of faith that say, hey, if God's promised it, what are we waiting for? Let's go. Jesus said it. It's a promise to us. Let's walk in it. And those two guys were Joshua, who is now in charge, and Caleb. And this is the conversation that these two guys are having found in Joshua 14, starting in verse 9. This is what it says. and says, So on that day, Moses swore to me, to me, Caleb, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, that of for your children, everybody say, forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. It was a promise given to Caleb. Verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about the wilderness. So here I am today. Everybody say today. So here I am today. Here I am today. Here I am ready to go. Here I am today, 85 years young, and I'm still going strong. Come on, I want to be better at 85 than I was at 35. Come on. Anybody willing to believe that you'll be better at 85 than you were at 45, 35, 25? Come on. I'm in on that. I'm all over that. Come on. Yes, Jesus. What do I got to do? I probably got to eat a little different, but, but you know, we'll get there. 
better at 85 than he was at 40. Here he is, 85 years old. I am still strong today as the day when Moses sent me out the first time. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. This is a, this is a, man, he's a, he's ready to go. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard when the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. I will whoop the, I'll be as young once as I ever was. Heard that somewhere before. Then Joshua, I love this. Then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. He blessed him and he gave it to him as his inheritance. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes on the subject of think long. Everybody say think long. We got to think long. We got to think long term. We got to think longer than what we are thinking today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you illuminate it to us. Help us to see you clearly today. Lord, help us to grab a hold of the promises. Help us to change of perspective. Let us get a fresh mindset today, God. Lord, may we encounter you and learn today. May our faith increase and may we God, be in a place to walk out of here with greater courage, willing to think long and pray hard in the same direction. God, we, we thank you for it. Thank you for the people that are here today. Lord, we, we thank you that you're just blessing us and that your spirit is here with us. And so, Lord, we, we just ask that you would be and move and, and do what you want to do, God, over these next few minutes. We just welcome you here, God, and we acknowledge that you're with us. In your name we pray. And everybody said... It was several years ago I heard a phrase that has always stuck with me, and the phrase was this, if you want a forest, you have to plant a tree. In fact, if you want a forest, you have to plant multiple trees. All through my life, especially uh, in the last, I would say, 16 plus years as I've been pursuing the Lord and serving Him in ministry, the, the metaphor of trees and seeds has been very prevalent to me. All through Scripture, the Bible has references to trees and references to seeds and fruitfulness. And all through my life and ministry, God has used that kind of phraseology, that, that word picture, to kind of help me grab a hold and grow my faith so that I would walk wholeheartedly after what he has for me. Uh, it was a prophecy given to me, a word that uh, a gentleman by the name of Dick Mills uh, gave me when I was in Bible school that was out of the book of Isaiah that, that the verse, and some of you may have heard it, says, the trees of the field will clap their hands. Uh, and it was this idea of praise and worship and the, the prominence of that. But it also had to do with the location. And at that time, we were seeking God, trying to figure out, God, where do you want our ministry to start? And uh, we had narrowed it down. What we felt like were two areas. We felt like we were either going to be doing ministry in Colorado, lots of trees, little rocky, but some trees, and North Carolina, beautiful pines and just wonderful landscape. And and that was one of the things that God spoke to our hearts that helped us know which direction we needed to go. His word had something, spoke to our hearts, and it helped navigate us and helped us in making this decision when we were trying to discern, God, what, what do you want us to do? You ever been there where you're just trying to discern what you need to do, what your next step is? And that's what we were at, and God used that and has used that verse and several verses like it again and again and again in our lives to help us know what to do and what not to do. 
it's been a reoccurring theme and metaphor in, in my life. It was uh, the first spring that we lived here in Fort Scott a couple years ago that we had just gone through, and I mean butchered some of our trees all through our yard. I mean, I, I went to work with that pole saw. I mean, we were getting rid of limbs all over the place because we wanted to prune back what was so that it could grow more fruitful. How many of you know that's a, that's a gardening principle? Sometimes you got to prune away so that it can grow stronger, right? you got to grow a little healthy. That's a spiritual principle. And that, it, it was just a day or so after we had done all that yard work, I was sitting there having some time with the Lord, just praying. And the Lord was telling me, he says, it's time to prune for fruitfulness. And I said, okay, Lord, what do you mean? And the Lord began to show me both in a personal way, the things that I needed to prune out of my own life so that I could grow more fruitful. And he was showing me some things as it relates to our church that we needed to do to prune away distractions and to prune away some things and to really uh, allow the life of God to have a pure focus in what we were doing. What you wouldn't know is that it was right around that time that we really began to turn the corner as, as a church and really shifted our focus and our attention even more clearly into what God was calling us as a church to do. Here as a church, we've seen a lot of growth and fruitfulness to which we are so thankful to God. One of the things that is true of our church that's kind of a bedrock thought process or a verse, and we talk about it in our Catch the Vision class, is in Psalm 92 where the Bible says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. Our desire for you is that you would find a place where you can get planted and you can begin to flourish in the things of God in your life. We want you to win in your life. And every Sunday, we're here planting seeds of faith into your life, helping you take another step, helping you discover the things that you need to let go of and the distractions and encouraging and breathing life into you so that you can take another step and another step so that you can experience the flourishing and the fruitfulness of God in your life. We will never apologize for challenging you to step outside of your comfort zone. Because your comfort is the enemy to your growth. We will always encourage you to give more, always encourage you to serve more, always encourage you to engage more, to invite more, to do more than what you're doing. Because until you step out of your norm, you will not experience the new that God has for you. And I know that the the thing that will unlock spiritual life in you is discovering what it would look like to step and to go again, to let God seed something in your heart through his word. Let it be cultivated in his presence among his people for a little while. And then you make an action step to move towards something. And God, we want to see your life flourish. We have a a phrase that we say here at Faith Church that says this, that uh, we're not trying to grow a big church. And we talk a lot about growth and we talk a lot about reaching out and we talk a lot about growing, but our goal is not to grow a big church. Our goal is to grow big people. Our number one job is to help you grow big in your faith. That's why we're doing these 40 days of prayer. Because prayer is not a helpline. Prayer is not a lottery ticket. Prayer is not just the, oh man, everything else has failed, let me try this. Prayer is something that we want to pattern in our lives in a daily basis and think long-term as it relates to our prayers. 
That's why we're doing this. And when it comes to prayer, we have to start thinking long. We have to start thinking long term. We have to get beyond the immediate, the microwave, the immediate gratification of our prayers and start thinking long term as it relates to the things that we're praying and believing God for. Prayers do not have an expiration date. They don't have an expiration date. There are no shortcuts. And the Bible instructs us that we must offer prayers that will influence future generations, future decades, that that decades after we've prayed this prayer, decades after we've sought God, decades after we've consecrated our lives and postured ourselves to, to be a part of what God is doing, decades later we see the answer and the fruitfulness show up in our lives. Some of you in this room, I would venture to say that most of us in this room are the result of somebody's prayer in this congregation years ago. You are the answer to prayer that somebody prayed in the early 80s. You're the answer to that prayer. My question is, what prayer are you praying today that you'd be willing to let God answer in another decade? I think it's time that we think Long Joshua chapter 14, we saw Caleb understand this principle that there are some things that you've got to think long about when it comes to the promises of God. There are some things as it relates to prayer, you've just got to think more long term than in the immediate. Here's the first thought that I want to share today as it relates to, to thinking long. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. And if you're not taking notes, you can repent and grab the connect card that's on your seat and you can start taking notes today. It'd be a great opportunity. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the first thought. Your prayers roll over to future generations. They roll over to future generations. You guys remember years ago uh, when cell phone companies started to do this where they would offer rollover minutes? I think Singular was one of the first ones now known as AT&T. They were some of the first companies to offer rollover minutes and rollover data. We're like... What you paid for that month, if you didn't use it, it just rolled over to the next bill. My parents were on that plan. Uh, they've since been moved to an unlimited plan, probably because they didn't make near enough calls that they've got enough rollover minutes for the last 10 years to last them their entire lifetime, more than likely. So they've just moved on. But there was this sense of like, if you don't use it, it just rolls over to the next thing. It just rolls over to the next thing. Listen, prayers, in God's view, have rollover to them. They roll over, not from this generation, but to generation after generation after generation. Your prayers have no shelf life, and they roll over until they begin answered. And sometimes they get answered again and again and again, and come on, and again and again and again. There's a, a thought, according to the old rabbinic tradition, that Caleb wanted this hill country... that we read about in Joshua 14. He wanted Hebron because that's kind of where his ancestors were buried. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the fathers of the faith, that's kind of where they were. And it was a fertile, fertile area, but it was also full of history. And Caleb wanted that land. That was the land that was promised to him. It was the land where he wanted his family to be established. And it was the place that he wanted to see God's fruitfulness not only be reclaimed and relived, but recurring again and again and again. You know, it would be 500 years after Caleb made the petition made the request, made the ask 
for that land. It would be 500 years later that David would be crowned king in Hebron. It's a rollover. It's a, it's a residual thing. God answers those prayers again and again. God's promises, hear me, are multi-generational. God's promises are multi-generational. I've talked with uh, Pastor Tim several times since becoming lead pastor. Just for those of you who wouldn't know, Pastor Tim and Gypsy O'Neill were the lead pastors here for uh, at least 18 years, serving faithfully, loving the people of God, and doing a, a great job here loving people. And he and I have talked multiple times about how some of the things that we're seeing God do among us are just residual answers to prayer that have been prayed years in a row. Recognizing that God is the God who's known as the God of Abraham. He's also known as the God of Isaac. And he's known as the God of Jacob. Why? Because God is a multi-generational God. God is after your heart in a way that will create a, a dynamic echo into generations to come. Some of you are making decisions to pursue God and you are the first person in your family ever to do it. You are starting a new spiritual family tree that will pay off dividends in generations to come. In generations to come. That's why, friends, we can't give up. That's why we can't stop. Just because we haven't seen the answer doesn't mean the answer won't show up. We have to think long. We have to think long. We have to think long. Here's a second thought I want you to realize. And here's why we have to think long. Here's, here's a perspective that we have to have if we're going to think long in our prayers. You have to realize that your prayers are precious to God. They are valuable to God. Your prayers matter a great deal to the God of all of the universe. You've got to know that when you pray, God hears you. God hears you. Acts chapter 10, verse 4, there's a man by the name of Cornelius having an interaction with an angel, and the angel says, hey, listen, Cornelius, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. This has come up as something special. Your prayers have come up special to God. Psalms 141 and verse 2 says this, may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like an evening sacrifice. You ever walked into a room where there was some incense burning? Or something else burning maybe? I don't, I don't know. Similar smells, rather potent. When you walk into a room where those things are burning or, or, or things are happening, you notice it, don't you? What's that? What's that? This morning, uh, we were up there huddling and Greg walks into my office with our, our worship team and says, smells like coffee in here. I wonder why. It is my office. Really, there is a smell that is noticeable. God notices your prayers because they're like incense that he can't escape and he can't get enough of. Read, check out what Revelation chapter 8, verse 3 and 4 says. It says, And then another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, literally standing before God. He's got this golden bowl with him. And it was given, he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of God's people. In this golden altar in the front of the throne and the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hands. Your prayers 
are being captured in heaven. They are fueling the worship and the aroma and the thing that God can't get enough of. Your prayers are precious to God. God hears you when you pray. Not only that, but your prayers literally are hand delivered by an angel to the Lord. Revelation 8 is telling us that there is an angel literally delivering them to God in his throne. Your your prayers are so important to God, he sends somebody to, like an armored truck, escort your prayers from where you're at to the very throne of God. Does God hear you when you pray? Absolutely he does. Well, what if I don't do it right? Is there a wrong way to knock on a door? No, there's not. There's not a wrong way to talk. Well, that's not true. There is a wrong way to talk. Some of you are pretty good at it. Child ears. Earmuffs. Your prayers are heard before God. They're so precious to God that he wants to make sure they are literally ushered right up before his presence. Here's Here's another thought I want you to understand. Our third thought today is this, that prayers put us on God's timeline. Prayers are multi-generational. They they have this rollover process to them. Your, Your prayers are precious to God, but not only are they precious to God, your prayers put you on God's timeline. In other words, your prayers get up there. They get on God's timeline. God isn't getting on your timeline. Oh, I wish it was that way sometimes, right? Like, I wish it was as easy as rubbing the lamp and telling God what I wished for. And my wish would become his command. What we read, I think it was this morning, actually, in our devotional, that God's command is better than your wish. And so we want to get on God's timeline. God is never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. That's one of our favorite Christianese sayings. Like, if you want to be a Christian, you kind of got to learn that secret. No, I'm just kidding. You really don't. But it's the truth that God hears your prayers. They are precious to him, but he's going to answer them in his timing. In his timing. That's why they roll over to generations. We don't get to put God on our timetable. Yes, there are sometimes I'm praying, God, please quicken this answer. Please hasten this. This morning we prayed for breakthrough. Absolutely. We can pray and believe God. There's an urgency here. God, there's an, there's an expectancy here. God, absolutely. But at the end of the day, God's going to answer the prayer when you're ready for him to answer the prayer. Well, I'm ready right now. No, you probably aren't because your character can't handle the blessing that you've been praying for yet. Ooh, it's about to get good preaching. And not a lot of amen, and that's all right. God hears your prayers. They are precious to him. And when we pray, we get on God's timeline. I want you to think about this. Everything in the Old Testament, what we call the the first part of the Bible. The Bible is broken up into two groupings, Old Testament and New Testament. All of the Old Testament books, all of the stories, all of the prayers, all of the the prophecies, they all point to one man, and that man is Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament has to be looked at and read through the lens of who is Jesus. In other words, everything that happened in the Old Testament was all preparation for when Jesus showed up. In other words, Jesus is the answer to all of the prayers that were prayed in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years passed 
before those things ever began. Think about it this way. God made a promise to one man named Abraham. He moved it forward through people like Caleb. It rolled over to the king known as David. It was fulfilled in a man by the name of Jesus. And you and I are reaping the fruit of those promises and we are part of the story. It's a generational thing. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't do it just for the first century Jews. He did it for you. He did it for your family and he did it for all who would be far off. Prayers often go unanswered until generations later. Think think about this. I love that, that, that the prayers matter to God so much that generations later they still are active. Think about this. 2 Kings 8 and 19 says, Nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. He had promised to maintain the lamp for David and his descendants. Here's what you need to know about this story. It's it's a really fascinating story. Years later, David had, had died, and now there were multiple kings in succession, all part of his family. And Jehoram was the, a wicked king in Judah at the time. He was a wicked, I mean, he was bad, bad news. Nothing about him was honoring to God. And God was done. He was fitting to have a fit. Like he, God was done with him. And we see uh, that, that Jehoram, we see according to, to 2 Kings 8, that he lived 117 years after David. But God wouldn't destroy him or destroy his family because he made a promise to David 117 years before. The promises of God in your life They are for you, yes, and for the generations to come, amen. They they are residual, they are a carryover, they are a rollover. God has a good memory. He never forgets his promises. He never forgets his promises. The only thing the Bible says God chooses to forget is your sin. When we confess our sin and say, God, hey, I I botched this. This was wrong. Would you forgive me? The Bible says he's faithful and he's just and he forgives that moment. He forgives that thing. And and Psalms tells us that he takes it, he balls it up, and he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. Some of you be like, I've been living in that sea. I need to get out of that. I I need to find another place to go take a bath. This is not good. It's all right. God will restore your memory. It'll be good. God's memory is good. He remembers his promises to you and he forgets the failures that you have in your life. He has a good memory. He remembers his promises to you. It was Walter Wink who writes and says that history belongs to the intercessors. In other words, history belongs to the people who are willing to dream big, pray hard, and think long. To the people who are willing to draw a circle, get inside of it and say, God, I'm here to pray as long as it takes. A-L-A-T. I know we like to pray A-S-A-P prayers. But we've got to pray prayers that say, God, as long as it takes for this, as long as it takes, God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. It's going to be something that we're going to pray and pray some more and pray some more. I wonder if there would be anybody willing to pray prayers of blessing over our community that may not be answered in your lifetime. What if we started praying prayers that weren't about immediate gratification, but were about long-term fruitfulness? Sure, we need, it's a both and. God is a God of now and he's a God of tomorrow. Absolutely. But 
I want us to think differently. I want us to get it in our hearts that we can think long. We have to pray long because God is a God of tomorrow as well. See, here's what I know. Many of us give up when we start praying and we don't see the answer yet. It is always too soon to give up on a prayer. It is always too soon to give up on a prayer. Here's here's what I know, and here's the last thought today, is that prayer requires patience and it requires persistence. Your prayers require patience and persistence. Luke 18, uh, Jesus is telling a story, and in Luke 18, 1, he he tells his disciples this. He says a parable, he tells them this parable uh, of a way that they should pray and never give up. And the parable was simply this. It was a story about a widow who went before a judge pleading her case for justice. And the dude's like, no, denied, 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 denied. And she became the squeaky wheel that got the grease. She just kept going, kept going. The Bible says she would not relent. And because she never relented, the judge finally said, fine. If it'll get you to stop, you can have it in your favor and ruled in her favor. Now, Jesus told us that story not not because he wants us to be annoying. Not because your kids are really right when they ask you seven billion times for the same thing. He told the story to tell us that our prayers require a certain level of persistence, a certain level of patience. Because if a, if, if a judge who didn't fear God nor cared what people thought was willing to relent, How much more is your heavenly father who loves you beyond all measure willing to answer your prayer when you choose to persist? Friends, you will never annoy God because your prayers are precious to him. They they get escorted to the very throne before God. It's so important that we persist, that we keep going, that we keep praying prayers as long as it takes because it matters to the next generation. Because Jesus said at the end of that parable, he said something really interesting. He said in verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, will he find anyone with faith? See, because... Faith has to travel through some perseverance. It has to travel through some trials. It has to travel through some time because it's the testing of our faith that produces patience. And it's when patience has a work in our heart that God says we grow to being mature, lacking nothing. But if we never travel, if we never have to persist in prayer, if we always pray one time and God answers it right away, then patience is never developed in us and we get into a mindset of consumerism where we pray and God, you got to answer it right now or you're not real. And we develop a mode of Christianity and faith that is shallow, short-sighted, and consumer-driven. And it's lacking greatly. That's not the faith that we're after. We're after the faith that says, God, I'm going to pray as long as it takes. I'm going to keep believing as long as it takes. 
Your prayer is not the winning lottery ticket. It's an investment account that incurs interest over time. It's a compounding interest kind of a thing where it grows. The more you pray, the more you put into it. And the longer you let it sit, it grows bigger over time. Friends, it's too early to quit praying. It's too early because patience and persistence are necessary for the development of you. God will use any means necessary or that he needs to to develop your actual faith and character. We must persist. We must continue praying. We must continue to believe. That's why Jesus told the story. He says, that's why you've got to ask, you've got to seek, and you've got to knock. You might sit there thinking, well, Jesus said that if you ask, you receive. If you knock, the door's open. If you seek, you find. I mean, it's bang, 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 bang. Come on, pastor. But you have to understand, if you go back to the original Greek, the verbs in those verses are present active imperatives. I just lost half of you. But I've got music, so this is spiritual, so just hang with me. It's imperative, meaning it was used to express a command. You better ask. You seek. You knock. I am in a stage in my parenting with one of our children, our youngest, where she'll whine about something and I will be persistent not to do anything until she actually uses her words to ask. And it's not because I'm mean. And it's not because I want her to grow up to be a well-adjusted adult who knows how to have communication with people. That's, that's a bonus. You want to know why I'm persistent in this? Because my job as a parent is not to raise well-rounded kids who become adults. My job as a parent is to shape spirituality that point always back as a reflective of what Heavenly Father is like. And you can whine all you want about your life, but until you hit your knees and you begin asking God, see, it's an imperative. You've got to ask for it. You've got to ask for it. But, but it's a present tense, which means that it's a continual action. You've got to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Not once, not twice, but 3,000 times a thousand. That's how many you just keep going until the answer shows up. And it's an active voice, which indicates that it's the subject who has to do it. You've got to keep asking. You've got to keep seeking. You've got to keep knocking. And then the doors will open. And then the answer will come because it's generations to come. We have to be willing to say, God, develop the faith in me. So I keep seeking. I keep knocking. I keep asking because my prayers are important to you. They're making a ripple effect to generations to come. God, I'm not going to give up until I see the answer. I'm not going to go silent until I hear your voice. I'm going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep doing it until I see you come through. Here's what I think would be an appropriate response for all of us today. Two things. Number one, I'm going to challenge you to repent for bowing at the idol of immediate gratification. This consumer mentality that resides often in all of us to say, God, I need it now. I needed it like yesterday. God, it hasn't happened yet. I'm just going to bail on it. I think we need to repent and say, God, no, forgive us for being so selfish and short-sighted. May we move forward. And then this week, I want to challenge you. Second thing I think all of us can do. 
Not only repent, but, but this week I want to challenge you. Look for ways to delay your gratification. Maybe you're going to have a dessert after dinner. Healthy dessert, of course. Because you want to be better at 85 than you are at 40. But, it, but instead of eating it right away, tell yourself, I'm going to drink a glass of water. And I'm going to wait 30 minutes. And then I'll enjoy it's not about just eating habits. Friends, you could apply this in everything. I'm not, I'm not going to turn on Sports Center. I'm not going to get on Instagram. I'm not going to tweet anything until I've spent time with God. I'm going to delay some gratification so that I remind myself to wait. I'm going to wait. I think I could do this today. I'm not going to buy this today. I'm going to buy it next week. And if it still really matters to me, I'll buy it next week instead of right now in this moment. I'm going to delay some things in my life. I'm going to delay the gratification in my life because I want to train myself to pray long, to think long term, to get beyond the right now, right now, got to have it, got to have it, microwave it, get it there. I'm going to crockpot some things. I'm going to marinate some things in God and I'm going to allow God to create in me this heart of persistence, this heart of patience, this heart of faith that says, God, I am after you. I'm after you. This week, take some time, repent, but, but find something, find a way to delay something that you're gratifying, something that you're, you're rewarding yourself. Find some way to delay it. Maybe you need to fast for a little while. Do something to say, God, I'm saying no to me because I want to train myself to be persistent. I'm going to train myself to wait on you for as long as it takes. I I, I want my marriage to change yesterday, but God, I'll I'll keep doing what's right and I'll keep praying for as long as it takes. God, I'm really tired of budgeting and living below my means. I just want to go splurge and have fun, but God, I'm going to do it as long as it takes to do what you've called me to do. God, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be right here and be reactionary, but God, I'm going to be measured. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to do it for as long as it, I'm going to think long term. Because God is never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. And your prayers are precious to him. They roll over from generation to generation but God is more interested in developing this faith in you and prayer is a part of the process of developing faith in you. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to pray for us today. If you're here and you'd say, you know what, pastor, no, this is me. I I need to, I need to take some time this week and I, I commit to find a way or multiple ways to delay some gratification this week. If that's your commitment, you say, you know what? I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to put that to practice. We just by show of hands to the Lord, say, Lord, I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to find some way to delay. I'm going to find some way to remind myself to think long and to not give up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, you see these hands, you see these hearts, give us the ability and the strength to do it. Thank you, Lord. Give us that ability and that strength to do it. While we're still bowed in prayer, maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never said, God, I'm going to put you first. God, I'm going to invite you in. I'm going to do it your way and not my way. There's a lot that I haven't figured out in life, but God, I'm going to trust in you. I want to trust you first. If you're here and you want to say yes 
to Jesus and you've never made the decision to be a follower after him, but you want to make that decision, say, today I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to begin a new step. I'm going to start this process. We just put a hand in the air. We want to pray for you. If that's you today, say, I want to, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Thank you for that hand. Thank you so much. Wait one more second. Church family, let's pray this together. All, to, all across the room, let's pray it. Say, Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus. You sent him for me to die on the cross for my sins. I believe that he is the son of God. That he died for me. He was buried, but he rose again. I put my faith in you, Jesus. Not in myself, but in you, Jesus. Save me. Set me free. And make me new. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.